Man, awesome way to start the day in baptism today. This past Monday, uh, I, I found myself in a little bit of an odd situation. We had taken our son last Sunday to college. Um, he's at the College of Southeastern at Southeastern Seminary as a freshman. And uh, um, Monday, I found myself sitting in the dentist's office with my oldest daughter getting some, some dental work done. And, and so I'm, I'm sitting there, and I, I don't really read a lot of magazines, but I saw this magazine that caught my attention, and I picked it up, and it was the latest edition of Travel and Leisure. I don't know if you get the subscription to that. I'd never heard of it, but, you know, some people do, I guess. And I picked it up because on the cover it said, 2018 World's Best Edition. And I thought, I'm intrigued. And so in this magazine, it had listed and pictures of places. Now, I got a few of them for you to just to scroll through as I'm preaching, all right? All right. Uh, it was the best beaches of the world. It was the best cities to visit in the world. It was the best, yeah, right? Oh, right. Exactly. The best cruise line. Just leave that for a minute. Just make us all go somewhere else for a minute, all right? The best islands to travel to. Now, now the, the past week before that had been pretty stressful, and again, we, we dropped our son off at school, and, and I'm sitting there flipping through the pictures. And I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe I'm the only person, all right? I'm sitting there thinking, what do I have to sell, mortgage, borrow, or steal to go there? And not just for a week, but forever, right? Just to, just to sit right there. I know I'm, it's Bora Bora, okay? And, and just to sit right there, on there, look at the clear waters, and for that time, just to go, you know, I don't have a care in the world. You ever done that? You doing it right now? All right. Then I looked up and I realized I'm at the dentist office. <laughs> now, it's a nice dentist office. Don't get me wrong if you work there. It's a very nice dentist office, but it is not Bora Bora with a private chef cooking my meals without a care in the world, or so we would think. We have moments like this. We look at a picture. We hear somebody tell a story about somewhere. You can take it off, okay, because otherwise they're not going to listen to the thing I have to say now, all right? And we look for that in a moment, but then we do what? We're snapped back to reality. We got a job. We got school starting. Woo, right, teachers? Don't throw anything at me this morning, all right? And real quick, the anxiety, the worries, the stress, the difficulties of the day just cover us up. Now, the beauty of God's Word. Here's what I love about God's Word. The beauty of God's Word is that in Jesus' opening sermon, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, his sermon on the mount to his disciples, his very first words that he speaks in a large format there. In this one large sermon, he speaks and he talks about some of the most difficult circumstances and issues of our lives. Scripture doesn't avoid the difficult moments that you and I are facing. It jumps right into that and Jesus addresses them directly. So last Sunday, uh, Mike Ferguson did an awesome job from Cornerstone Community Church, our church plant from Lexington. Um, he, he, he said that I set him up to preach on money, okay? I know that he said that because I listened to it. Um, he proclaimed that I set him up to, to, to do that, but it was simply the next passage that came along. But, but where he landed was us needing to examine who is our master, now, when you read scripture, I don't know if you're reading this morning uh, on, a on a device or you're reading from print, 
Um, but whatever you're reading, it probably has subtitles. And so as you're reading through um, the Sermon on the Mount, there's, there's the Lord's Prayer, there's do not be anxious, um, there's lay up your treasures in heaven, there's fasting, and there's verses, and there are chapter numbers. Realize when Jesus spoke, he did not speak in verse and chapters, and he did not include subtitles, all right? So why I say that is Matthew 5 through 7 is one message, And so when we come to the continuation of where Mike left off last week, realize it's not a different sermon that Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to what is your master? What is your Lord? Where do you store up your treasures? In heaven or on earth? And then he says something. At the beginning, he says, Therefore, I tell you. Verse 25, chapter 6. He just came off of speaking about who is our master. Now, one of the things that we've spoken about before is whenever there's the word therefore, we've got to know why therefore is therefore, all right? Therefore, in this instance, is pointing backwards and saying, because now you're examining who is your master and you trust Jesus as your master, therefore, I tell you. So his instructions are based on the previous discussion of who is your master. According to this message from Jesus, when we examine worry and anxiety, we are determining and living out who is our master. I never connected these dots until a couple weeks ago, looking ahead. Never connected the dots that who is our master can be measured by what brings us the most worry. That has just laid all over me for two weeks. So don't disconnect Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24 from 25, because therefore speaks of this master relationship. Who do we trust? Who do we put our hope in? One of the ways is what makes us anxious. What makes us worry? So Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus is having this very honest conversation with his disciples. They're on the hillside, and he's speaking to them, and he's saying, what you are worried about is smaller than the largeness of life. What you are struggling with, what you're anxious about, is actually just a a little tiny piece of a much bigger picture of this life. Let me communicate it to you this way. Let's bring it up to our lives. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your first day of classes around the corner. Do not worry about those new shoes that you want so desperately that you cannot afford. Do not worry about your car repairs that happened this week. Easier said than done. I had my car repairs this week. I don't know about you. Do not worry about, about dropping off your kindergartner for the first day of school for a half day this week. Moms, don't stare a hole through my soul, okay? Because here's mine. Do not worry about your college freshmen going away to school. Do not worry about your in-laws and your relationship or the difficulties. Do, do not worry about these issues. Isn't life bigger than those? Is not life more, Jesus is asking, more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Now, I think if we read through that list, they're really important moments, but if we were honest, we would say, yes, pastor, I agree. Life is full of much larger, greater, grander things than just what I'm facing this week, but it's what I face this week. It's what's in front of me. So before you turn me off and just say, pastor, you don't get it. You don't know my worries. You don't know my stresses. Before you make some blanket statement, I should just walk out of here, you know, don't worry, be happy. Let me just say this. I base this this morning first on the authority that Jesus made this statement, not me. And Jesus proclaimed that he would die, that he would be in the grave for three days, and that he would be raised from the dead and would be resurrected and conquer sin and death. Now, I just got to tell you, if I'm going to put my hope and authority in somebody, that's the kind of guy I want to put my hope in, right? And if he says... Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. And he conquered sin and death. Then I think we should at least look into what he says. I think you should at least, if you're a non-believer this morning, that you should at least look into someone that has that credibility, that authority throughout history. The other reason I hope this morning you'll stick with me is because about a week ago I was standing in my kitchen I was painting, I had my phone off, there was nobody in the house. I went back later in the day, turned my phone off, and your phone's probably like mine, uh, maybe not quite as crazy as mine, but man, my phone went off, and they were just messages, just un- unleashed. And every message, a part of some of those messages was something that I needed to do for someone. And I just sat there in my kitchen, there was nobody home, and I just sat there thinking, I, I can't do this. What if I handle this one wrong? What if I don't handle this one correctly? What, what if that person doesn't respond the way that I think they might respond if I answer this? What, what are you going to do? And guess what I felt? I felt worry and stress beginning to churn. So then I got in my car. I went to try to go make a visit. Failed at that. Went to try to go. I was driving back, and I was praying, and I was just thinking. And I had my phone on shuffle. The music was playing, and this song came on. Um, some of you may have heard it if you listen to Christian radio. It's called You Say by Lauren Daigle. And the chorus said this. It says, you say I'm love when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when, you think, when I think I'm weak. You say I'm held when I'm falling apart. When I don't belong, you say that I'm yours, so I believe. And I'm driving back home and just feeling the stress, feeling the struggles, feeling different stressors, but the same feelings that you feel. And so I got home. Sunday morning while you were at church, I was at home, kind of weird, right? Preacher skipping church, all right? I'm at home spending some time just getting ready to take my son to school, and I'm reading our passage for today. I'm reading the passage that Michael's preaching. I'm reading the passage for today, and Jesus says, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you eat, what you drink, nor about your body, what you put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? What is your master? Pastor, who do you trust? Who who do you seek? What do you seek that will calm you, that will restore you? I kept reading. I ask you to read with me. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you 
not of more value than they. Now, this is a little bit different for us because we're sitting inside. Birds aren't flying around, all right? Jesus is the master teacher. He's sitting outside. The disciples, I have no doubt, they're sitting on a hill. There's some birds chirping, flying over, and Jesus is walking through this illustration. He says, hey, the birds of the air, you see them? Got them? They don't think about it. They, they don't worry about it. Their heavenly Father feeds them. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns. He's saying to a group of agricultural people, which we are, most of us are not. There's a few of you with some green thumbs in here, but by and large, we're not agricultural people. God feeds the birds of the air. They don't have the ability to farm. God gives them what they need. We can work the soil. We can reap the harvest and store it in a barn. They simply fly around and God provides. And you are more valuable. You can reason. You have a conscience. You have the ability to plant, to sow, to reap. You have the ability to work. You have the ability to use the gifts that God's given you to go out and prepare to be a part of those things. You can study. You can make wise decisions. You can reason. You can evaluate. Why? Because you are of incredible value to your Heavenly Father. Jesus is drilling down, whom do you trust? Verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Hey, say those last uh, five words with me. There, O you of little faith. Say it with me one more time. O you of little faith. Those last two words are really interesting. In Greek, they're one word, all right? And those words are only used four times in the New Testament. They're only used by Jesus. They're not recorded in any other Greek literature ever in this time period. Jesus uses it four times, and all four times he's using it to describe what? The lack of faith in his disciples. All four times. Oh, you of little faith. And if he was speaking in Aramaic, the way that these words are spoken, Aramaic goes into Greek, and Greek, then we have it into English, it literally would have sounded like this. Oh, you little faithers. Can't you hear a five-year-old looking at you as a parent? The grandparent, the uncle, the aunt, look at you, go, oh, you little faither. Almost teasing you, right? Oh, you little faither. Another moment that Jesus has with his disciples, they're in the boat, they're on the water, Jesus is asleep, the water gets rough. The disciples awaken Jesus in Luke chapter 8, and it says this, and a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filled with water. They were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased and there was a calm. And he said, where is your faith? Little faither, where's your faith? Not do you have faith, but where, what shelf did you put it on? 
Where is it gone? Where did you place it? You've got faith. Where is your faith? What would you do with it? Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, it is a poor type of Christianity that has this wonderful faith in respect to our salvation through Jesus, yet we whimper and cry when we're confronted by the daily trials of life. When I, when you succumb to worry and anxiety, we're becoming little faithers. We trust that Jesus, think about this, we trust that Jesus Christ came to this earth as a sinless sacrifice, was crucified on a cross, was buried in a grave, rose from the dead, conquering sin and death to give us eternity, yet he can't handle your daily, de- daily needs? Do you hear that? In that moment, we're starting to examine, do I really trust? Do I really believe? He goes on to say, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, when Jesus speaks of Gentiles in this capacity, in this moment, he is speaking of those outside of being one of his disciples. All right, those who have not been called by him, those who are not his disciples. Later on in the New Testament, Gentiles are referred to those who are outside of the Jewish faith. But here Jesus is speaking to someone outside of being on the inside with Jesus. And what does he say? He said, these people have no knowledge of who I am. They have no knowledge if we're looking today. We don't call people a Gentile. Probably wouldn't go over well, although they wouldn't even understand what we're saying, all right? It simply would mean for us today, those who have no knowledge of a life-saving God. Those who have no recognition or no acknowledgement of a heavenly Father. And Jesus says what? They ask these questions, what do you eat, what do you drink, where do you stay? What do you eat, what do you drink, where do you stay? That's what they seek after. Now, this word seek here that Jesus used is a powerful word. The word seek here quite honestly means to run after, to desperately search after something. And he says the Gentiles seek the answer to these questions. They run after the answer to these questions day after day. What do we eat? What do we drink? Where do we stay? What do we eat? Where do we drink? Where do we stay? What kind of house? What kind of car? Where are we going to go? How's my money? How's my food? How's my clothing? How's my shelter? How's my house? Is it big enough? How's my car? Let's fast forward 2018. That has not changed. The bulk of the conversations and difficulties that folks have in our world is, what do I eat? Where do I drink? What's my house look like? How's my health? People that are far from Christ are not asking the same, should not be asking the same questions. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles do these things. And in verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Can you just repeat those last four words with me? You need them all. 
The Gentiles, those who are without God, are asking questions. And Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, you're doing the same thing. What do you eat? Where do you drink? Where do you stay? What do you eat? Where do you drink? Where do you stay? Hey, guys, let them ask those questions. And you trust in your heavenly Father, and he knows exactly what you need. This is a highlight moment. He knows what you need. If you go back and study, as we did two weeks ago, the message where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he starts with what? Our Father in heaven. And here he comes back around to it. He says, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father, he's coming back to this relationship over and over again. The Gentiles don't have this relationship. They don't have this image of God, but you have a heavenly Father. And he knows exactly what you need. What if you believe that statement? What if we believe that statement? As you put your head on your pillow and you go to sleep, what if you imagine this passage coming alive in your life tonight and the Holy Spirit, through God's Word, just speaks to you and says, I know what you need. I know what you need. As your Heavenly Father, I know what you need. What do you eat? What do you drink? Where was I know. I know exactly what you need. And you say, well, Pastor, you don't know what my needs are. No, but a Heavenly Father who sent His Son to die for your sins and conquer sin and death, conquering and giving you new life, He knows exactly what I and you need need he will guide you he will lead you this phrase isn't on the screen this morning I was working through my sermon this morning so it's not on there it's not in your bulletin this morning it's just this you know what i need say that with me you know what i need say it with me one more time i don't want you to lose it this afternoon you know what i need because in those moments, here's what we find out. We go back and we attach it to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. We find out who is really our master. Is it that thing? Is it that person? Is it that treasure? Is it that worry? Is it that fear? Is it that difficulty that's related to something completely different? Do I have more faith in myself, my resources, my wisdom? Is master my school? Is master a sport? One way for us to tell is if it causes us worry, it is stepping into the role of master. Because this is attached to Jesus' talk on being a master. What's your master? Treasure in heaven, treasures on earth. What's your master? You can only serve one. And here's the way to tell. When you're anxious, when you're worrying, there's another master creeping in. He goes on to say, for the Gentiles seek after these, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus is raising the bar to say, if you spend all of your time, all of your worry, all of your fear, then you're spending your life exactly the way everybody else is, but you have a heavenly Father who knows what you need. Quit wasting the joy of today on the worries of tomorrow. Way easier to be said than done, right? Quit wasting the joy of today on the worries of tomorrow. Now, one of the things I want to make sure you understand is that this message doesn't say to the disciples that you don't have to do anything, you don't have to go anywhere, you don't have to work, you don't have to serve. He says you reap and you sow. You have the ability to do those things. 
We have the ability to live our lives, to prepare ourselves, to put ourselves in certain moments in life. But then Jesus draws a line of distinction, and he says, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. Gentiles, what are they seeking? What do we eat? What do we drink? Where do we live? He says, you seek, you run hard after, you desperately search after the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You are my heavenly father, and you know what I need. If we make Christ our master, if we trust him as our father, he promises to provide our every need. Exactly when you need it. Exactly how you need it. But pastor, you don't. I don't. I know Jesus. I know his promises. I know the truth of his word. And I know that he speaks to his disciples and says, guys, I got this. You quit seeking like the rest of the world. You seek the kingdom of heaven. You seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You seek the things that are right in front of the Lord. And you know what I need. In moments of anxiety, don't turn to a coworker who helps you get more fearful. You know that person, don't you? You go to that person looking for a little help, and every time you go to them, you, you find yourself more anxious, all right? Just turn them off. You know what I need. As my father, you know what I need. In moments of despair, you know what I need. When you're facing temptation and sin, seek the things of the Lord. You know what I need. In moments where the bills don't add up, we work as hard as we can to do the things, be responsible as we can, and then we say, God, you know what I need. In moments of loneliness and worry and anxiety, find comfort in his word and say you know what I need you run after these things you run after these things and I'll take care of the need I love the teaching of Jesus because it's hard and he attacks the hard things verse 34 says therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, Jesus, we can agree with that, can't we? Jesus doesn't shy away from letting us know that there's difficulties for tomorrow, does he? He said, sufficient are the troubles for its own day. So don't be anxious about tomorrow. It's going to have its own struggles. It's going to have its own difficulties. I was listening and reading and studying over the last week, and I came across this quote from Andy Stanley. He says this, When you're tempted to borrow from tomorrow, look for a way to participate in what God is doing today. Man, I love that. I wish I'd have said that, right? When when you're tempted to borrow from tomorrow, look for a way to participate in what God is already doing today. This week, my wife was talking to my son. He's away at college, as I've shared already a couple times and he was walking across campus, I think, going to one of his classes. He's a little anxious, a little nervous, college freshman, doing all those things. And um, she said, here's what I want you to do, son. You begin to thank God for things that have already gotten you to that point in the day. Because gratefulness and anxiety cannot abide in the same moment. 
That'll preach. They can't exist in the same moment. Don't borrow from the next 30 minutes. Don't borrow from tomorrow what you know is already going to come. So you focus on today and participate in what God is already doing around you. Don't borrow from tomorrow. Participate in what God is doing today. Don't seek the trouble of the next day. Seek the things of God in this day. So the examination we come to today is worry and anxiety is directly related to who or whom or what is our master. You can't pull them apart. Who our master is, what our master is, is directly related to what we worry, what we trust. And what we're mastered by can be measured by what we trust and what we seek. Seek the kingdom of God or seek the answers to these questions that the Gentiles ask. Who do you trust? Who's your master? The answer, what or whom you seek in times of worry. One last thought. Jesus acknowledges to them, and he says, tomorrow is going to bring the moments and stress upon you. Jesus acknowledges those difficulties, but tomorrow is another day to turn to a heavenly Father who knows all that you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. So my challenge for you today is this. If you've never trusted in a heavenly Father, my challenge is that you would trust in a father who's offered his son as a payment for your sins. And he knows what you need. My other ask of all of us, it's a huge one, is that we would start our days this week or end our days or maybe every moment in between you teachers starting school, right? And we simply say, you are my father and you know what? I need. You know what I need. Head on the pillow, laying there trying to count sheep, picturing Bora Bora, whatever else is in your mind. You know what I need. You wake up in the morning, you're in the shower, you're getting ready, it's all coming on you. God, you know what I need. Help me to participate, not in the worries of today, but in what you are already doing. Help me to see, to not steal from tomorrow but to take pleasure in what you're doing today. You know what I need. Will you say it with me one more time? You know what I need. Let's pray together.